0: Oh. And so you, you just have to realize that there are here. This is really important. There are three major objections. I know you guys are not getting any talking in here, and all <laughs> of you knew. That. I'm mesmerized. All of you we knew exactly no, bro, you they, would not get any talking. They hear our in. <laughs>
1: voices way too much. Just go. <laughs> well, this is awesome. <laughs> so
0: there are three major barriers to presenting the gospel to Muslims, and every Christian should understand should understand what they are. Yeah.
1: Some people are fascinated with cars. Others are fascinated with artwork. Still others fascinated with ancient artifacts. Ray Comfort is fascinated with eggs. <laughs> oh, I love <laughs> eggs. Be pre okay. or post cooked?
2: If you are what you eat, I'm an egg.
1: Seriously, Ray, I- I've rarely found such an idiosyncratic—excuse me—fascination. I don't like the way that word began. Idio, <laughs> idiot. idiot. Idiosyncratic. Seriously, Ray, what is it with you and eggs? Like like you like to eat them? No, like everything about eggs, absolutely fascinating. You've never heard him just like go on and on
2: about eggs. Go on. Yep. So excited. Uh, 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 He's so overwhelmed with uh, joy. Ask Scotty about eggs. The the scientific. Teaching, or for want of a better word, about eggs, how, how incredibly they're made and how the chicken can breathe the air that's left in the top before he breaks the shell and all this sort of stuff. And Yeah, you, these are hygienically sealed packages that you can fry, scramble, poach, or make into an omelette. Look at throw, the passion. Hang on Look a minute. So, ton, and ton <laughs> you can throw trash at a chicken at night next morning. Produces, she produces these incredible eggs that, eggs that are so good for you, full of protein and that. Don't separate the yolk from the white. Use them no, as God. No, do that. <laughs> no, no, no. That's how God I, created them. And I, Jesus said eggs are good food to give to children. Luke 11. Are you yoking? No. This is true. <laughs> no, it's true. Mark, are you as fascinated by eggs as
1: Ray? Sure.
2: <laughs> and Mark, eat me. I, I eat eh. four eggs
1: a day. My daughter eats. So that's you eat yesterday. four eggs a day. I eat four eggs a day. Well, what is it with every what, day? What is it back without the, fail? Hear that? Stop. Wow, I serious? What are you? Are you serious? Serious? With the we go through eggs like cr- it's got to be one of our biggest groceries. Do we give you eggs? Does Sue give you eggs? Like once a year? Oh, yes. we have, yeah. to, we we have, have to give that. you more
2: eggs because you gave us that Sally. What that, was the name of the chicken you Betty. gave? Betty. Betty. Sorry. Demonic Betty the chicken. Yes. Yeah. That's where Legion went into. Right. Now this is because Ray heard you like eggs. This is going to be an excuse for him to get more chickens. Yes. Well, we're up. We're on the legal limit. Twenty. 5 I'd get more. You found
1: us. it. They had to create the law for you. Ray's going to buy the house next door. Just oh, so I you. never
2: thought of that.
3: <laughs> oh, no. Here we go. My daughter, Eden, always wants me to mention her name. So Eden, Eden, Eden. Eden, Eden. Eden, Eden, Eden. Grace. But she made me two omelets yesterday. Is it, she
1: always Eden eggs? I knew that was coming. <laughs> uh,
2: that
1: was really yeah. good. That was in bad taste. You know what about. came to mind yesterday was, you guys remember Mork and Mindy? Yes. Mork and Mindy. He came in and egg. <laughs> He came in an egg. He did yes. Remember when they had? Remember, it's more intelligent than no, evolution. But remember when they had a baby? Yes. And he was born in an egg.
2: <laughs> and sh- yeah. Is that and Robin Williams? Yeah. Yes. But no, remember, no, no.
1: but it was pretty. It was no, no, pretty no. brilliant. I never really watched it, but I, I don't know why I got this itch to look it up. So they had a baby. And he was some someone winters. He was a famous
2: guy. Oh, cut it out. I don't remember. He was brilliant. It's, that's what that was. He was the hero of, uh, of of Williams. Yeah. And then he ended up. And then he, but he was born as an older man. Yes. And
1: then he would reverse an age over Benjamin time. Benjamin Button a baby. Yeah. Anyway, bunch of stupidity. Well, friends, uh, here's a comment from Bucky seventy seven. Love this podcast. My fourteen year. Uh, My 14-year-old daughter loves it, too. It has encouraged us to dig deeper in the Word. Thank you for being your godly, goofy selves. Well, that's only one of us. Elves. (laughs) Bucky. Elves. Yeah, thank you for that, brother. So blessed your daughter listens as well. 14. Brother. Oh, we haven't done that in a while. brother. How are you doing, brother? (laughs) Brother. (laughs) That's when you forget the name. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Tough Questions, the five-video session course. Ray, Mark, and I answer tough questions. Oscar could He's not a part of it. <laughs> study guide, 400 tracts. It also comes in MP4 download. Don't forget that. And it's a Waters. course, of course. Of course, of course, of course. It's a horse. The Living Waters mug. They have a study Bible all at Living Waters. Period com. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Period com. That's funny. All right, friends. Back at G3. As we told you, we were there, did 11 interviews. And the one today is with our brother, James White. I got a brilliant 11 interviews in two days. I know. I was, I was a scrambled egg. My brain was scrambled. <laughs> that sounds good time. to me. <laughs> yeah, but it was great. And James White is talking about a very important subject, what Christians need to know about Islam. Do
2: you remember James White came for, to film for a television program about 15 years ago? Yeah. We sat at a meal with him, and none of us said a thing for two hours because he was so brilliant.
1: <laughs> I know. And then we had him out for Living Waters Equip. And uh, we hijacked him for like three days. Anyway, we talk about that on the podcast. I
3: love the fact that when we went to do this interview, he didn't know what we were going to talk about. But no. he just kind of shifts some things around in his brain. Yeah. And then he speaks as if he's reading from a book. He's yeah. so And smart. I knew
1: that. That's why I didn't tell him at the time. I'm like, this isn't going to be a problem. Yeah. He's one of us. Yeah. All right, friends. No more of this. Here's our friend, James White. Well, friends, it's not often that you meet someone who bikes at least 100 million miles per year, but we have him here with us. Not anymore. Oh, man. Not anymore. No more. James White is sitting here with us at G3, as you can hear from the background noise. Yes. What what happened, man? You were like Mr. Bike Everywhere guy.
0: Uh, Lost control of my heart condition. And Ah. so there are days that I just simply can't get on. I'm still on schedule for about 6,000 this year with about (laughs) a third of a million feet of climbing. (laughs) But I'm doing that mainly in my RV now on, on a smart trainer. So I can't go out and do the 100 mile rides anymore, not because I don't have the physical ability, but if you've got a heart condition and all of a sudden it decides to go wonky on you and you're 50 miles from home, yeah. you're a long ways away from help. Right. And, uh, and so I just don't have the confidence to be able to do that anymore. Well, it's crazy. So I
1: remember when we had you out for uh, what we were doing to Living Waters with Living Waters equipped some time ago. Uh, boy, we held you for a long time on that. Yeah. <laughs> but you you yeah. brought you like brought a bike with you and right. you took I it did. in your hotel room. I did. I did, <laughs> I did. <Was> that <laughs> yeah. the same bike that you have Not in the sure. RV.
0: Uh, probably the same one. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. Uh huh. Nice.
1: Yeah. Well, James, I'm sure. Almost all our audience knows you, but for those that don't, uh, James White, Dr. James White, Director of Alpha and Omega Ministries, uh, Christian Apologetics Organization in Phoenix, Arizona, and you're also the elder at Apologia yep. Church in Arizona. And James, we want to talk to you to today about Islam. I've been wanting to do a, a podcast episode on Islam. We've done a couple hundred podcast episodes, not one on Islam yet. And Really? Yeah, for good reason. We want to be with the expert. And so <laughs> we're, we're so glad you're here. In fact, the first time I met you... Uh, was at a debate that you did at Biola University. Yes. That might have been your, I don't know if it was your first Muslim debate or not. Was it with that, Shabir Ali? Uh, I'm trying it, to remember. It was
0: Shabir Ali, and it was 2000, May of 2006. Yeah. And it was, the, it was officially the first Muslim debate, but I had debated a Muslim before. I had debated a Muslim on the deity of Christ on Long Island but I hadn't started saying Islam yet. So I was just defending the Christian position. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't able to provide a meaningful critique of the Islamic position. So I don't consider that one my, my first Muslim debate. Mm. So Shabir was, and I think Shabir and I have now debated, I think we've debated at least seven times since then yeah. in London. And in fact, one of the most amazing things, and people can look this up on YouTube while it's still available on YouTube, I debated Shabir Ali on how a person has peace with God in the Abu Bakr Siddiq Mosque in Erasmia, South Africa in 2013. Wow. And it's a beautiful mosque. And it's fascinating because all the Muslims are seated on the floor and all the Christians are in chairs. Wow. So the Christians are, are wimps and the Muslims <laughs> can sit for hours on the floor. And I am standing in front of the Qibla, which is where the Imam leads the prayers. The Qibla points toward the Grand Mosque in Mecca, wow. and so I'm literally staying in front of the Qibla, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, mm. and I'm able to be speaking to these Muslims and telling them about the imputed righteousness of Christ and, and the fact that everything we do is is marked by sin and rebellion against God and God knows our hearts. And so all the good deeds we can do can never do anything. We need to have a perfect righteousness. And they've never, not only have they never heard anything like this, but they're in their own mosque mm-hmm. yeah. and hearing wow. this. And that whole thing is on, is on YouTube. Uh, I that love you it. I that's it. That's harkens, it
1: harkens back to Paul in, in, uh, you know, on Mars Hill. Or-
0: in, in a sense, yeah. In, in a sense, it really is. And, and people ask, well... Were you ever afraid when you were in mosques? Because I also debated in the Gray Street Mosque, which was Ahmed Didat's mosque. Now if you've never heard the name Ahmed oh, yeah, Ahmed Didot debated Josh McDowell. Yeah. That was the only time Ahmed Didat made that mistake to debate someone who could actually take him on. Wow. He was a showman, but he's probably to this day the most listened to Muslim in the world. Yeah. And so the apologetic methodology that he used is still the standard that you would get if you went to Egypt, if you went to Saudi Arabia, you went to Pakistan. That's the kind of stuff that you're going to encounter. Not some of the better stuff that second and third generation Muslims in the United States develop because they've been interacting with Christians. And so they develop a better methodology of defending their faith. It's called Dawah in, in Arabic. It's a It's interesting. The Muslims... Dawah, for them, is an explanation of Islam and an invitation to. They don't have a distinction between apologetics and evangelism. No. In their mind, they're both the same thing, Yeah, no. which, in a sense, is actually true. That, that should be how it is. And so, anyways, D, that was D-Dot's uh, mosque. He had died uh, about 10 years earlier, but that was D-Dot's mosque. And people ask, weren't you ever afraid when you're in a place like that? Never. Not hmm. once. I was always treated with respect, and, in fact... Uh, at the Gray Street Mosque when I was defending the deity of Christ, I'll never forget this young Muslim man sitting pretty much straight out from me. Mm. And you know how you can tell when you, you're all accomplished speakers, you've been in, you've talked to crowds and things like that. Yeah. You know when people are, are really tuning in and listening totally. and, and you've, you've got their attention. Yeah. And so here's, here's this young Muslim guy. He looks young to me and he is hearing me and I'm saying, look, we have to use the same standards. Uh, uh, you, you can't use one standard to criticize Christianity then a different standard yeah. to defend Islam. Yeah. You can't attack the New Testament with one set of standards and then defend the Quran with a different set of standards. And this guy is, is he's, he's nodding his head and he's, he's focused and he's listening. And at the end of that debate, he comes, he is, he is brought up to me He's the Imam of the Mosque. <laughs> He's the Imam of the Mosque.
1: <laughs> no way.
0: And so it, it was just the opportunities we had, especially down there in South South Africa, uh, were just ah. truly astonishing. They're truly amazing. That's amazing. And I'm very thankful for, for those opportunities.
1: Well, James, I want to ask you this. You know, there was a time when Islam seemed to be front and center. Right. It was on everyone's minds, right? 9 11 hits, and then after that, a, a whole string of. A terroristic attacks in different ways and people were thinking about it. The church was, was starting to train apologetically. But but it seems like recently or more recently, you know, the the whole COVID nightmare and debacle and then, you know, you've got, you know, just more recent stuff happening. The whole Russia-Ukraine issue. You've got AI. You've stuff, got
0: CRT. All that, mean, right? Yeah.
1: Everything. So, do you do you feel like because of all of that, Islam's kind of gone under the radar again? Like, out of sight, out of
0: mind? In In a sense, and I think that's probably purposeful to be honest with you. I think they like it, uh, uh, right? I mean, well, they is not a unified singular body. Uh, no. When you think about it, most of the time when you hear about Muslims, it's be it's because of Muslim on Muslim violence. Yeah. So you've got the sunnis and the shiites and they're blowing each other up and they still do that the, the news just doesn't report on it. The tensions still exist in the Islamic world. But back then, it really seems to me that the mainstream media was using it seems like the media's job these days is to continue to keep us in a state of fear.
1: Yeah.
0: That everything is bad and you need someone to protect you. And that was useful up until a certain point, And then it started losing its utility and I think that's honestly why you just don't hear as much about it anymore. Is yeah. and the church, we tend to go along with the media which yeah. is scary when you think about it, uh, given the nature of the media today. Yeah. And so it's not being reported as much. And so people don't think about it as much. And so, yeah, the, the concern has diminished. Um, even though in reality, you, you look at the actual violence going on overseas, it really hasn't, it really hasn't debated or anything. It, the only reason we were reporting it before is it was useful for a narrative in the West. Right. It's not useful for a narrative in the West anymore, so we're not going to report it anymore. So people don't really concern themselves about it. So James, yeah.
3: if you were doing a debate, and let's say the crowd was 50-50 with uh, some Muslims there. Done that. How strong is the polemic on the Islamic side compared to the Christians that are present? How, many, how can they defend their faith? I mean, Are we as able and capable and as studied as the Muslim side?
0: It de- well, um, the people that would come to a debate, the Muslims that would come to a debate are probably much more familiar with how to do dawah. They, they have their arguments. The Christians that come are more interested in what, the, what this is going to sound like and things like that. So it sort of depends. Your average, your average Muslim knows no more about the Bible than your average Christian knows about the Quran. Really? Oh, yeah. And in so, fact, I would say a higher percentage of Christians have read the Bible than Muslims have read the Quran. Hmm. The vast majority of Muslims, their knowledge of their faith comes from what they hear on during the Friday sermons uh, in the mosque, and it doesn't come... You, you must understand, the Quran does not function in the same way in Islamic experience as the Bible does with us.
1: How does it... How does it... Yeah, I want to know.
0: It's. It's almost more of a superstitious text. It's almost more how you treat the book, where you keep the book, how you, how you view the book. It's not, well, let me give you an example. Like 2007, shortly after you saw me debate Shabir Ali, yeah. uh, I was flown into the CBN headquarters and secretly because I'd record a bunch of television stuff to be beamed secretly by satellite into Iran. Wow. <laughs> so at first we tried to do live translation into Farsi, that didn't work. So we just recorded and then did the the, record, the translation later on. And I did a, a study and most of the people that were recording it secretly were former Muslims. Mm. And so I did a, a study on Surah uh, 112, it's called Surah Ali Class. It's a short surah, but it's key to Muslim theology, especially in regards to Christianity the third the third uh, ayah verse of it says, uh, Mulud. Mm. he is he is neither begotten nor does he beget and so most Muslims understand that as a denial of the Christian doctrine of Jesus as the Son of God things like that yeah it's as close as you're going to get to a creed in the Quran mm. uh, that can be memorized and things like that so I walked all the way through that surah in my there they're like 21 minute presentations or I forget exactly what it was. But I walked all the way through it, and I exegeted the text, even mm. in Arabic. <laughs> uh, and when I got done, the Muslim people that were recording, the former Muslim people that were recording it and stuff like that, came up and said, you need to understand, that never happens mm. in wow. the mosque. That <laughs> never happens in the mosque. You do not have you, you what, what you're hearing from the pulpit here at G3 yeah. never <laughs> happens in Islam. Wow. It just does not happen. Uh, the vast majority of what you're going to hear, what they're going to be hearing. And in fact, here you want you want witnessing stuff. Okay, here, yeah. let, let me give, give you a witness. Give it, stuff. brother. Every single time I took an Uber or a cab in the United Kingdom, my driver was a Muslim. <laughs> Every single time. Uh, when I was in Samara, Russia, teaching in January, it's 28 degrees below zero. <laughs> that's nothing. In January of 2019. And we had to take a cab to the location of the class. My driver was a Muslim. Wow. I, everywhere. Yeah. You want to know how to open that door? Yes. Real simple. Well, okay, it's not real simple, but here's how I did it. What they hear in the sermons from their imams is not exegesis of the Quran. It is the repetition of stories from the hadith. Yeah. Now, do you know what the hadith
3: are? We've talked about the, we've talked about the hadith quite a bit when you came into Living Waters Equip.
0: Yes, yes, we did. The hadith are, and that was a long time ago. And I'm yes. glad you still remember me, <laughs> um, given how old you're getting. Man, there's a lot of gray in that beard. Um, I have a lot to talk yeah, about. Yeah, look who's talking. Uh, yeah, indeed. Um, the hadith are the stories and sayings of Muhammad and his companions um, that were collected hundreds of years after Muhammad. But they, the Sunni. Have certain collections that are considered uh, sahi, that is sound, and that becomes that. That's the matrix out of which Islamic law comes and how the Quran is interpreted. Because the Quran, the Quran does not make sense in and of itself. The Quran assumes you know the Bible. The Quran mm. provides no meaningful context, and so there has to be a, a lens through which you look at it. And the, what the Muslims do is they look at it through the through the Hadith, and so those are the stories that Muslims hear all the time and I've read all of Sahih al-Bukhari Sahih Muslim that's seven volumes and six (laughs) volumes respectively of the Hadith I did them while riding bike uh, out (laughs) back when I could still do that listening to them over and over and over and over again and so what I would do is once I realized my driver was a Muslim uh, I would say do you remember the Hadith where you had the man who killed uh, 99 people now this is what's called a mutawatir hadith. That means it's universally accepted. So the, the chances, if your if your driver is a Muslim who has been raised actively as a Muslim, they're going to know this. They've yeah. they've heard it dozens of times before, and they're about to drop their dentures <laughs> that you, as a Christian, actually accurately narrate this hadith to them. Wow! But the, the hadith, by the way, is there's a there's a allegedly Muhammad said that there was a mass murder. He had killed 99 people. And he, he goes to a, a scholar and he asks the scholar, um, will my repentance be accepted by a law? The scholar says no. So he kills him. Wow. So he goes to a priest and he says, uh, will my repentance be accepted by a law? I don't know if the priest knew about the scholar, but he says, go to such and such a village and they will instruct you as to how your repentance can be accepted by a law. As he's going to the village, the time of his death comes. In Islamic theology, the day and moment of your death is written on your forehead 40 days after conception. Wow. And there's, there's nothing you can do about it. That's when you're going to die. That's it. And so he drops dead in the middle of the road. And in Islamic theology, uh, an angel comes from paradise and an angel comes from hell to argue over the soul of this individual. Now, you would think this one would be a slam dunk, okay? I mean, you know, it's killed 100 people, you know. um, But the angel from paradise argues that he was going to find out about repentance. And so, Allah decrees that if he's one cubit closer to the city he was going to than the city he was coming from, that he will go to paradise, And then in some versions of the story, Allah actually makes the earth shrink between the man (laughs) and that city. So he's one cubit closer and he goes to paradise. Mm. Now, think with me for a second. First of all, every Muslim knows the story. yeah, Every single one. And so what have you done? You have just demonstrated that you have enough respect for them Mm. to know something about Mm. their own faith. And they don't get that from Christians at almost any point Mm. at all. Okay. So what have you done? You've purchased yourself an ear. You've, you've opened an ear up to hear what you have to say. Love it. Now think about that story though. Think about that from a gospel perspective, but you see, you have to think about it before you're talking to the Muslim in the (laughs) cab. Okay. Okay. Don't, don't just hope that the spirit will show me. No, Mm. you have to think ahead of time and go, okay, this means that Allah will bring people into paradise with his law completely broken, a hundred innocent people killed, mm. no atonement has been made, but God's just simply going to close his eyes and forgive those sins on what basis? Mm. Wow! So what does that do for you? That gives you every possible way, because you're going to have to... This person has preconceptions in their mind that are going to be in the way of your being able to present the gospel to them. Right. So they're going to hear everything you say, and they're going to reinterpret those words mm. within the context of their own faith. So you're going to have to explain how Jesus can be the son of God, and that doesn't mean that God has kids and all the rest of that kind of stuff, and you're going to have to explain what substitutionary atonement is and why it's necessary mm. and how it allows God's God's holiness to stay connected to his law. In Islamic theology, it's torn apart. And that's why I mentioned that debate earlier. That's what came up in that debate was I kept pressing the fact that from the Islamic perspective, their entrance into paradise involves a fundamental denial of the holy nature of God. Wow, His law has been rejected, and they're in the mosque. You're explaining that. So you've got to think these Hmm. things through ahead of time, but you have purchased the opportunity to really think about it and to really speak to them about it. And so another one of the hadith that's really that's it's mutawatir which means it's it's universal they all know it. Muhammad allegedly said that there are people of the fire that do the deeds of the fire their entire lives up until the point at which it is written for them and then they go into paradise. So in other words from his perspective there was a fatalistic you're going to paradise. You're going to hell. It doesn't matter what you do. Wow. So you do the deeds of the people of the fire your entire life until the point in time when it is written of you. And then you go into paradise. And then it says it there are those who do the deeds of the people of heaven their entire lives until what is written of them overcomes them and they go to hell. Oh, so wow. you can't know. Wow. Since there's no mediator, there's no atonement. You cannot know. Whether you are whether you have peace with the law or not at mm. all, wow. so now think about just those two hadith. There's a third one I can throw at you here if you want to hear it, but you can you can use these stories that they all know. Yeah, open up the door and then make the connection to a biblical presentation of the gospel. Oh, that's
1: so good, James. And that you know that's the way to do it. That's a great approach. Let, let me ask you this: How? You know, a lot of Muslims seem to have this impression that obviously the text of the Qur'an has been perfectly preserved. How how do you counter that? What ev- evidence do you give that that's not the case?
0: Well, this is... this is When I, I mentioned earlier uh, about the imam, the mosque, one of the things I was saying is you have to use the same standards. You can't use one standard for the Qur'an, no standard for the New Testament. Right. When you use the same standard for both, then it's obvious that they have both been transmitted by handwritten mechanism and that there are textual variants in the manuscripts. Most Muslims do not know Mm. the history of the Quran and most Christians don't know the history of the New Testament either. Mm, Right. Okay? And so when I tell audiences that the average conservative estimate as to the number of textual variants in the New Testament, uh, we have about 5,800 manuscripts of the New Testament in Greek and the average... Average number given by conservative scholars is 400 to 500 thousand variants in those manuscripts, mm. and people go, Wah! and then you explain that, what that all that means. The average Muslim does not believe that there are variants in their manuscripts at all. Right? They have been taught otherwise, and you, you might say, "Well, how could you prove that there are variants?" That's tough to do if you don't have the resources. I happen to own. Uh, Two museum quality reproductions of two of the earliest mushaf manuscripts of the Quran They were fourteen hundred bucks a piece Wow and I might have one of like three or four in the United States Mm -hmm. grand total So I can open it up and show them and so I can do presentations digital presentations Where you can show pages that have been cut out and things that have been erased and 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 stuff like that So I can demonstrate the existence of those things But the vast majority of people would not have access to that material Oh. And so you, you just have to realize that there are. Here, this is really important. There are three major objections. I know you guys are not getting any talking in here, and all of <laughs> we you knew. I'm all of you we knew all exactly no, you they, would not get any they talking. They hear it. our
1: voices way too much. Just go. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> so
0: there are three major barriers to presenting the gospel to Muslims, and every Christian should understand should understand what they are. Yeah. So, I'm not going to go in the normal order um, since we're on the topic. One of those barriers is the fundamental belief on the part of the Muslim that the Bible has been corrupted. Yeah. Okay? And so, what's interesting is that's only been a fairly universal Muslim perspective since 1864. Mm. And you might go, 1864? There was a. That's the
1: year Easy's dad was born. Uh, was, <laughs> Close. I, I thought you were going to say it was
0: when Easy was born. 1911,
1: but, um, <laughs> not far th- off.
0: There was a. There was a book published by a Muslim scholar in India, where he he drew from German liberal scholarship. It's our uhak, the vindication of the truth, and it's just basically an attack on the Bible. That's similar to what you'd get from atheists and stuff like that, but it's being done by a Muslim. That has, that book has had more impact on the worldwide Muslim population than mm. any other book that's ever mm. been written. That's the book that made Ahmad Didat, Ahmad Didat, mm. okay? He believed that, he put that into practice, he's taught others to do the exact same thing. And so, up till that point in time, there was two streams. There were Muslims that believed that the, that the Bible couldn't be changed, because in a, according to the Quran, the... Torah and the Injil, the law and the Gospels, Old Testament, New Testament is what we would call it, the author of the Quran, I don't think knew the difference, to be perfectly honest with you, mm. um, that they are Natsal, they're sent down by Allah. And so, for a lot of Muslims down through history, it was like, well, the Quran sent down by Allah, the Torah and the Injil are sent down by Allah. If you could change the actual wording of the Torah and the Injil, why couldn't you change the actual wording of the Quran?
1: Exactly. Hmm.
0: And so there were all sort, There were lots of scholars, stuff like that, that held the view that the only thing that had been corrupted had been the interpretation hmm. of those scriptures, not the form of those scriptures. And then you had people on the other side that believed that it could be changed. Once It's Al haq was published and got translated and went all around the world, now 99% of your Muslims in the world take that perspective and believe that the Bible has been corrupted. But but James,
1: real quick, street level, for people that are listening to us, isn't this a valid argument that we can use with the average Muslim on the street to say, hey, if the Quran cannot be corrupted because it's the word of God, how can you say that the Injil and the Torah were?
0: Yes, except the vast majority of them would say that there is a special promise for the preservation of the Quran that does not exist in the Torah and Injil. <laughs> and at that point, you need to go into Surah 5, Ayahs 41 through 46, and demonstrate that they don't have a, a, a way of actually understanding that. And you can see exactly how it works. Go to YouTube, watch my debate with Bassam Zawadi from London in about 20, I don't know. Some, who yeah. knows when it was? It's, it's It wasn't all that long ago. And you'll be able to see how to use that particular text. But I want to make sure. So that's the first barrier. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The second barrier is called shirk. You need to understand this. Mm. Shirk is the unforgivable sin in Islam. And what I mean by that is if you die as a mushrik, a person who has committed shirk, there can be no forgiveness. Any remember the remember the guy hundred had killed a hundred people, Allah forgave him. Hmm. Because he hadn't committed shirk. No. So what shirk? Well shirk is to associate anyone or anything with Allah. It's the closest thing that we would have in Christian terminology would be idolatry. Yeah. And so, most Muslims believe that we are mushrikun. That we, because of our belief in Jesus, are associating a mere human with a law in worship and therefore we have committed the sin of shirk. Now, there's different kinds of shirk and things like that, but the Quran is very straightforward. If you die in that sin, there is no forgiveness for you. Yeah, But they're also told that what we are asking them to do in bowing the knee to Jesus Christ is shirk. Mm. Right. Mm. So you can see how that's a massive barrier. Mm. It's the one sin. In fact, I, I don't know if we have the time here. Uh, go for it. We got time. That's, only, that's all we have left? Well, no. We can I've go, been talking we, we, that long? <laughs> we
1: can go beyond that. Go, just go, man. Do Okay. It.
0: Okay. <laughs> one, one of the things to remember is how serious is shirk? Abu Talib was Muhammad's uncle and he protected him when he was a minority prophet in Mecca. And when Abu Talib was laying, dying, Muhammad comes and says, you know I'm a prophet, say the Shahada, become a Muslim. The rest of the family is saying, do not deny the ancestral gods. He dies as a mushrikun. He dies as a polytheist. Mm. And Allah did not allow Muhammad to pray for his parents who died as idolaters. He did not allow him to pray for anyone else who dies as an idolater except for Abu Talib, mm. and as a result, Abu Talib has the best place in hell. Wow! <laughs> oh. Now you immediately are going. What exactly is the best place in hell? I've been and the, there, and the <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's outside of Idaho. Some place, um, yes, it's the you know, <laughs> Phoenix. Abu Talib. Now, there's different versions of the story, but Abu Talib is either wearing sandals that are. On fire and are so hot that his brains boil, or he just stands in fire up to his ankles that boil his brains. <laughs> that is the garden spot of hell. The garden spot. <laughs> of okay, hell. that's the best Dude, place. Dude, new rock band name called it. So, so what's so what's the point? Yeah. The point is, if the prophet himself could pray for this man, and he committed shirk, and that's the best he can hope for. Then you better not commit shirk. Wow! No. And the Muslim is taught you are inviting them to commit wow. shirk no. by believing in Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So there's so two. What do you of the
3: th- do? Wait. What? What do you do? What, how do you, you have
0: to? You have to be able to explain that Jesus Christ is not merely a man that we are associating with God. He has eternally been God, and therefore, to actually not give Him worship would be actually to commit idolatry. Mm, yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. So, but you've got to know your Trinity to be able to do that. You've yeah. got, to, and you've got to be able to demonstrate it from Scripture. Not simply from creeds or confessions, oh. but from scripture.
1: I think a good title for a book would be something like The Forgotten Trinity or something.
0: Yeah, like yeah that. something <laughs> like that might, help. Something <laughs> that might help. But I've only given you two of the three. Yeah, okay. If I don't give go, you go, number go. three, three. We're, we're, we've, we've, we've wasted our yeah. time. So, the third barrier is from Surah, uh, I, Surah 4, 157 of the Quran, which is just one verse. But it's one verse that says that Jesus, well, it's understood by the vast majority of Muslims to teach. That Jesus was not crucified on the cross; mm, that someone right. else was made to look like Jesus. Now, most m- most Muslims, especially those who come from outside the United States, believe that that was Judas. Yeah, that was made to look like Jesus, but that Jesus was not crucified on the cross of Calvary. That's what they understand Surah four one 1 to, to mean. Mm. Now, there's a whole history behind that. There's no hadith interpretation of it. There's it's it's really weird, um, but they believe it. Yeah. And so, obviously, if there's no crucifixion, then there's no hmm. resurrection. And hence, there is no heart of the gospel hmm. itself. Hmm. And so, if you'll go and watch the debate I did also in London on that subject, you'll see that the Muslim that I was debating, what he did was not so much defend, because even even the most skeptical people like John Dominic Crossan or Marcus Borg or, or uh, people like that, they all believe Jesus was crucified. That's, they will say that's one of the few facts of Jesus' life that we can really know for certain. He yeah. was crucified. So, the Quran puts Islam outside of even the most skeptical elements of history. Right. So, they won't so much defend that as they'll attack the resurrection. Yeah. And say, well, there's no evidence of this, there's no evidence of that, and think that that's enough to deny the crucifixion. So, to- those, are, those are the three to remember. They're afraid of committing shirk. They don't believe Jesus Christ died upon the cross and they believe that the Bible has been corrupted. You put all three of them together, and the person who is actually going to impact the Muslim obviously is not the person who's only going to have five minutes with them. What can you do if you have five minutes? You can plant a seed and hope that they will... Like I can't tell you how many times I got out of those cabs, and the the driver was writing down the YouTube address Mm. to watch my debates on YouTube. Okay, that's how you do it. Yeah. when you only have 5 minutes because you're not going to be able if you try to do a normal gospel presentation against those three objections and not deal with them you're you're not accomplishing anything they no. they're not so obviously the most effective way of reaching muslims is in a relationship with them where you can go over these things over time mm. and you actually know your faith well enough to explain how jesus can be the son of god without that involving polytheism yeah. and give a defense of the accuracy of the text of the New Testament and the crucifixion of Jesus. And these are things that uh, really anyone we're sending into a Muslim country should be absolute experts on. They should yeah. absolutely have their their stuff lined up and ready to go. That's good. So, so, really, so
3: yeah. who, does people, who do the Christians go to? Who should we be reading, looking up, watching videos, listening to audios? Who are those top Christian apologists? You're saying, go to these guys.
0: Well, there's been a, there's a lot of great work that has been done uh, on the subject of Islam, and unfortunately, a lot of it is not really popularly available. I've done a lot of debates. There have been others who've done debates. Sadly, there have been some that I could name who were very much involved in Islamic apologetics who have become apostates um, yeah. and have greatly damaged the testimony of Christ amongst the Muslims by the things that they've done. Heartbreaking. Uh, it is. It is. It's It's sad to see. But obviously, the uh, bibliography and footnotes in my book, Whatever Christian Needs About about, about the Quran, is going to give you a lot of stuff. <laughs> One of the problems, honestly, is uh, I was speaking to a church in Boulder, and a Muslim came up after my presentation, and he said, the only thing I would disagree with you about is you said that it's, it's almost absolutely necessary to know and understand certain elements of Arabic to discuss this subject. And so he and I started talking, we talked for half an hour and after half an hour, I stopped him and said, by the way, how many Arabic terms have you and I used over the past half hour? <laughs> and he sort of stopped and said, yeah, a whole bunch. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's how, that's how we started this conversation. It's true. And that is one of the problems is it's a lot of the best information on the subject of Islam seems difficult and hard for people to grasp because it does use terminology that is derived from the Arabic, shirk and hadith and you know yeah. all this type of stuff. And that means it's not quite as easily available as well. So I've done, for example, a, I've done a number of multiple day, like I did one called Islam A to Z that really goes into a, a depth in, in a lot of these things. You've got to have a real desire to reach these folks. You got to have love for them. And that's one of the biggest problems. Yeah. Most Christians fear Muslims. They don't love Muslims.
1: Man. James, I'm so glad you said that because this is what it should all circle back to. You know, you're, you're giving us a lot of information and and some great knowledge, but it all ties into love. I mean, this is why you've done this. You've dedicated yeah. so much of your life. It comes back to love because of the gospel, for well, the gospel's sake.
0: Muslims have never known what to do with me
1: Yeah,
0: because I will not compromise. I know their faith. I make strong arguments against their faith, <laughs> but they can tell I care yeah. about them. In fact, one of the things that really started changing my Muslim debates is I started meeting with my Muslim opponents for lunch or dinner before we would do the debate. I love it. And they just did not know what to do with a Christian who was going to stand firm, but very clearly cared about them as a person. They just yeah. didn't know what to do with that. And if you want to see how it works, at this conference a few years ago, I debated Adnan Rashid uh, as part of the pre- pre-conference at G3. Wow. Oh. And if you watch how Adnan and I interact today and you go back years to videos of Adnan at Speaker's Corner in London, you'll go, that's not the same guy. Mm. And you know what happened? We had lunch in Dublin mm. yeah. and I explained to him why I do what I do and he discovered this isn't a Christian who just wants to scream at me. Mm. Amen. This is a Christian that actually cares about me as an individual. And I remember we had lunch at a uh, place called Quesadillas in, in, in London. Believe me, oh, there are what? very, very... Wait a minute. London? I think the only person
3: that likes <laughs> chips and salsa more than me is you. There are
0: very few Mexican places in London wow. that are even edible. I would just say why. Uh, this
3: <laughs> There's so many other better <laughs> options
1: in London. No, <laughs> no,
0: if you want Mexican, this is about all there is. We met for lunch... I'm sure the Secret Services were watching us because he's about a six foot four tall Pakistani. And we left that restaurant and we hugged before we left. (laughs) Love it. And every debate you watch us do afterwards, there will be this time when I'll, I'll look over him and I'll go,
3: Adnan. And he'll just sort of go... I know. And
0: that doesn't happen yeah. unless you've established that relationship. Have you
3: it. always been like that? Because I think of like, you have a relationship with Michael Brown, right? Your yes. theology is way over here.
0: I have, no, I have not always been like that. Um, what was
3: the turning point? Why?
0: I don't know what the turning point was. I'll be perfectly honest with you, but something happened at some point in time where, for example, I developed a sense of humor. First of all, uh, <laughs> I really didn't have that uh, earlier on in my life. Uh, I, I don't know what I, I can't answer. That's interesting. I cannot answer that question. No. But that's it's different with Michael or Doug Wilson or someone like that because there is a faith connection there. Yeah. Some people would say there isn't, but obviously I believe that there is. With Muslims, it is a situation where here is a person who has been given really a hopeless message. Yeah. It doesn't it, they, they, they have no way of knowing they have peace with God. And that breaks my heart. Mm. Especially when I see how hard they fight mm. for something that that cannot give them peace. Yeah. And I don't know how you cannot feel tremendous empathy for no. someone like so that. So when you get a knock
3: at the door and you see that it's a, a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, does your heart first think, these are fellow image bearers? Or do you think, all right, here we go. Here I go. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna sure start. they don't but
1: come it, to James' it's, house it's, anymore, Mark. <laughs> actually,
0: actually, what's interesting is they came to my house after they started going back door. To, the Jehovah's Witnesses that came to my door. Uh, Because they had suspended during COVID. They went to letter writing. Oh, that was effective. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, So their numbers have been going like this. They did come to my door. And what was interesting was the guy they had doing the presentation was mentally retarded. Okay. He was not really capable of having a, a meaningful conversation. He was doing his best from a piece of paper, but there was a more experienced guy behind him. Yeah. Okay. Give the guy credit. All right. So we start talking. And very quickly, I have to turn to the more experienced guy. And the other guy's just sort of watching this conversation going on. And what is my thought? It's both, it's not an either or. If it's Jehovah's Witnesses, these people spend five hours a week preparing to deal with you. You don't spend five hours a week preparing to deal with them. No. So they're going to be some of the most challenging people you're going to deal with. Okay. And so that's what's going through my mind. Is I wonder where we're going to go, how long is this conversation going to be, so on and so forth. But again, for a Jehovah's Witness, here are people who are in very much the same situation as the Muslims. They've been given a false hope. They've been told that they can't truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They have a false Jesus. He's Michael the Archangel. They they can't partake of the Lord's Supper. it's, It's a sad, sad thing. I mean, I've been to district conventions of Jehovah's Witnesses, and they were... Stultifyingly boring. Yeah. yeah. They were dead. There mm. was no life. There was no... Ju- when they would sing, every sing, every song sounded mm. like a funeral dirge. Wow. No. And if you don't feel for someone in that situation,
1: mm. yeah.
0: I think your feeler's broken.
1: Yeah. yeah. And you know, James, what you're talking about in terms of your love and your approach, it reminds me of what Scripture tells us. You know, 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be... You know, gentle, patient, able to teach, and humility, correcting those who are in opposition.
0: If perhaps uh, God may grant them the gift of repentance.
1: Yeah, you know, Colossians four five to six. Make the most of your time with outsiders. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. Peter three fifteen. Uh, you know, with, with gentleness and respect in terms of you know how we how, how we make the gospel known. So. I love that, brother. And uh, man, we could really literally, and we we did pretty much all Waters, go on for yeah. tens of hours <laughs> with you. <laughs> but brother, we, we want people to, this is kind of wetting the appetite of our listeners. And yeah, so we yeah. want them to know how they can connect with your ministry, how they can find out about all that you're doing and what you all have right. going on. So give it.
0: Yeah, aomin.org is the main way. The dividing line is the main way we communicate with folks. Uh, we have an app out now that we uh, allows people to know when we're doing the program. I now travel in a fifth wheel. Yeah. Uh, that's how I get around the, <laughs> the country. And my fifth wheel, uh, thanks to Rich Pierce, we we pulled the bedroom out, and we have built and installed a fully functional two-camera 4K webcast studio.
1: <laughs> no way. Nobody in your, else In your fifth wheel?
0: <laughs> nobody else has what we have. Uh, You're unreal, I have, man. I have, we're going to be doing the dividing line here pretty soon, and we're going to be using the same cameras. I pulled them out of the unit to come over here. And so that's how I get around now. And so we do the program even while on the road. We just did a debate last weekend, a very important debate with Dr. Gregory Coles on gay Christianity. Wow. And coming up in February, I'm going to do a road trip. This may be absolute suicide, but I'm going to do a road trip where I'm going to do five major public debates <laughs> on right. one road trip. So I do will be it debating, on your bike, bro. No, no, no. I will be debating uh, Trent Horn of Catholic Answers on oh, Solusville yeah. Tour and uh, Purgatory. And then I'm debating uh, of a landmark Baptist on whether a Baptist can be reformed or Calvinistic. Then I'm debating Leighton Flowers on John chapter Ooh. 6. And then I'm debating Dale, Dr. Dale Tuggy, the King of the Unitarians on whether Jesus is Yahweh.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: Four of those debates are all at First Lutheran uh, of Houston. Wow. I
1: think we'll need to go, boys. We'll need to figure <laughs> out a way to go there. Yeah. That's great, James. So, AOM.org. org
0: AOMIN. AOMIN.org.
1: Okay. So, AppleOnionMormonsN.org. He's been going to the wrong website this whole time. He's been going to the wrong website. I don't know where you've been going, but yeah. Well, brother, thank you so much. We'll have to do this again, hopefully, Lord willing, very soon. And keep pressing on. You're an inspiration.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. Amen.
1: Amen. James White brought the delight. Again, I love the fact that he's all about the heart, mm. you know, that he, he, he talks about walking in love toward these guys. I mean, James White is sharp, and he's one of those guys who can twist someone into a pretzel. Mm. Uh, but, but he's tactful because yeah. he wants to win them.
3: I don't remember those two stories from the Hadith that he mentioned, no. because we always have Muslim drivers with our Uber yeah. or taxis. Yeah, that was good stuff. Gave yeah. us enough to, to research
1: and look stuff up. They call me the James White of Mexico. <laughs> Jaime Brown. See, <laughs> <laughs> si, same on. Ray, what's your name in Spanish? Ray, speak Ray Spanish. Oh, okay. Bueno. <laughs> bueno pronto. All right, friends, don't forget to give us your comments, podcast at livingwaters.com, and your thoughts. Don't forget to give us a rating. Check out the Tough Questions course, Living Waters mug, the Evidence Study Bible, all at livingwaters.com. Thank you for joining us, friends. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters podcast. The ultimate cure for insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>